A famous civil rights leader once told me, one of the best kept secrets of the 60s, and before actually I finished this phrase, I forgot to warn her that I was going to do this. Where are, oh, there you are. My mom, Karen Spellman, is here. And wave your hand, Ma. <laughs> and uh, we don't get her here that often, but it's always a treat when we do. And she came up for someone's first ballet recital, uh, which was yesterday, and we're very proud of her. She has quite a stage presence, I will say. I'm bragging a little bit. But anyway, uh, my mother was just recently recognized by the National Museum of Civil Rights, uh, Civil and Human Rights in Atlanta for all of her work in the civil rights movement, and I would just love to take a moment to give her a round of applause. As a pretty fantastic leader in the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, SNCC, otherwise affectionately known, um, she is a force to be reckoned with. So I wanted to give you that context as I tell you about what this famous civil rights leader said to me once when I was a kid. He said, one of the greatest secrets of the civil rights movement in the 60s, the movement for human rights in the 60s and for black liberation, was that your mom's greens fueled the movement. Now, I was a young kid, probably about 12 years old, but I'm not sure. But I have to tell you, 12-year-old Kaji was something. And as this famous civil rights leader said this, I said, to, I said her greens? My mom's brilliant. I'm sure she contributed more than greens to the civil rights movement. And since this guy was famous, I'm not going to name him, that took him aback a little bit because this little girl had said all this. But then he thought about it and he said, yeah, you're definitely Karen's girl. And it's true. My mom is a brilliant strategist and a tactician. She thinks of details and possibilities and how to engineer solutions to them like no one else can. And she does not miss a beat. I am confident that that had way more influence than her greens. In fact, growing up, whenever we would run into the police chief or the fire chief and, and they would find out that we were part of her family, they would sort of get a little scared because she was that kind, is that kind of force. Anyway, despite this, I do recall that whenever the SNCC folks in DC would meet at our, at our home, which would happen quite a bit, several times a year, she would actually go ahead and make those famous greens. And because I loved them too, I loved those meetings because the food made them more special. Now, these weren't necessarily, I should clarify, and you're going to see how I'm coming back to the gospel in a second. These greens that she would make were not necessarily collards, significantly. There could be some kale mixed in there for texture and taste, a little extra curl, and you know what else might be in there? Mustards. Ah, see how this is going. Now, you may not have realized this, as I didn't for the first many years that I encountered these scriptures. Actually, I'm going to admit until about when I wrote this sermon. But the beautiful mustard greens that we eat grow from the very same mustard seeds that Jesus talks about. And I meant to bring you some, but I forgot. But I will tell you, you can find mustard seeds in all of your... Um, 
all of your grocery stores in the spices section. And they're characteristically tiny. So if you take a little tiny mustard seed and you chew on it, you're going to feel this tanginess that hits you in the back of the throat, much as a strong mustard that you purchase will. And so those tiny little seeds tend to be some of the smallest seeds of any of the vegetables that would have been growing up in the region where Jesus was. Now, I've heard Jesus talk about mustard seeds and often think of the way that he describes them a few chapters later in Matthew chapter 17. And you might remember this. If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can do mighty things. You can tell this mountain to move and it will listen. That's how Jesus talks about it, and that's usually how I think about it, which does then focus on the tininess of the seeds, right? Tiny faith huge possibilities. And that preaches, and that's a word, obviously. But here, in this particular part of Matthew, the lesson is actually a bit more nuanced, because he's talking not so much about the tiny size of the seed, but what it can do when it's sowed in its field. And what Jesus is talking about is that period of growth, you see. The realm of heavens is like a mustard seed that a person took and sowed in their field. Indeed, it is the smallest of seeds, but when it is grown, it is the greatest of plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. I want to talk to you about your spiritual autumn in the context of this mustard seed that grows. And this is the last part, as I mentioned, of our five-part series inspired by Parker Palmer's writings on our spiritual seasons. And this week, I want to use all of this to bring it all together. And just to summarize, we talked about our spiritual winters as a time of stillness, of discovery, when matters become quite stark and present. And it can be a very difficult season, but there's beauty there if we're open to behold it. Then in our springtime, we start to emerge from the ground as shoots coming up through the mud, ready to blossom. In summer, we bloom and we bask in the sunlight. So what's autumn? I'll start as I have each of these weeks with a tiny bit of Parker Palmer's reflection and then I'll go deeper on it. Autumn is a season of great beauty, but it's also a season of decline, where the days grow shorter, the light is suffused, and summer's abundance decays towards winter's death. Faced with this inevitable winter, what does nature do in autumn? She scatters the seeds that will bring new growth in the spring, and she scatters them with amazing ab abandon. Oh, does she? I appreciate the movements here, and I'd just like to linger with you in them for a moment. First of all, in autumn, we have the resplendence, the change of seasons. Just think here in New York City, this resplendence is so celebrated that it, it made the American Songbook. Just hear Billie Holiday telling us all about it. So yes, 
Autumn in New York is gorgeous, and sometimes we do actually see that. But it's also a time when the chill starts to set in the air. The leaves have to be bagged, the allergies are going bonkers, and the nights are growing longer. The work year starts to boost up after summer vacations if we have the privilege to take them. And we have a lot of pressure to close out the year with a bang. Let's make it a strong fourth quarter. Who hears that every year? Right. We even say it in church. And just to state it even more starkly, we are keenly aware that winter is coming. See what I did there? I said it starkly that winter's coming. All right. Anyway, meanwhile, she's planting seeds, which we remember if we stay attuned. So it's a transition time in which it might take some real intention to see and to appreciate our blessings. Have you ever focused so much on what isn't, what isn't happening, that you get stuck there instead of beholding what is and what is happening. That, my friends, is autumn. That's when we become hyper-focused on what's wrong as opposed to what's right. And you do then realize that when we do that, it spills over into our relationship with God, too. It's a mindset that takes deep spiritual root if we let it, and that's what can happen in our autumns. We start to shift our gaze onto what God isn't doing, so much that we miss what God is up to right now. And we start to become the person who never has enough. We start to let our scarcity take hold. Spiritual autumn is how we can head into the cold of spiritual winter, where God, of course, will meet us too, let's be clear. But it, it can become almost impossible to see that once we get to that space. And I think in terms of building intentionality in our faith and seeking alignment with God, recognizing when we're in our autumns might be the most important spiritual assessment, self-assessment that we can take. Because unlike the planetary seasons, our spiritual seasons are not necessarily sequential. We can go from autumn back to spring and then into summer. We might skip several winters. And so much of how we can pull that off is just to take stock of where we are and then notice and then pray and take it to the Lord in prayer and set some intentions and build some disciplines and have some faith. That is stuff we can do. You, my friends, are not hopeless or helpless in your spiritual flourishing. So what do you do? What do you do when you find yourself in spiritual autumn? I'm going to keep it real simple, and in order to answer that, I'm going to borrow from Jesus. Look for the mustard seeds. 
Look for the tiniest thing that God is implanting within you, like the formation of a thought or an idea that gives you some excitement or hope, like the kindling of some warmth in a relationship that you realize might have more to it than you realize. Like finding that question that you find yourself just wanting to delve even deeper into. Like feeling the nudge to get to church and pray a bit more and leave it on the altar. Those are mustard seeds that are being planted by your creator and mine, ready to be sown by your creator and mine, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is happening right now. I did some research. Y'all know I'm a terrible gardener, but I did some research about the best way to grow mustards. And you know what that is. When you plant a mustard seed, you're anticipating that seed to grow pretty huge, like Jesus said. So if you plant the seeds too close next to each other, look where I'm headed here. If you plant the seeds too close to each other, they're not going to have any room to grow. Okay? That seed needs to claim its space. And you need to leave room for that. So do you. So what God is implanting within you actually needs some space and some time to grow, beloved. It doesn't just all come at once and don't ask for that. It won't work. That's not how growth happens. Instead, it takes time and attention and cultivation and water and faith and light. It needs all that. Mustard seeds must grow, also, beloved, in full sun, with space between them. Give yourself that space. Give God that space. Do not crowd your mind with too much. Do some house cleaning in your head. To the extent that you can, clear out the things that are going to distract from the growth that God intends within you. You don't have room for everything. So give some things away. Lay them at the altar. Give God the space to do the work in you. I promise you it's worth it. A dear friend of the park, Tracy Curry, just show ran a really brilliant new series on Hulu called Searching for Soul Food, which I highly recommend. You may have seen some billboards up around about it because they've got, they're doing a good job of marketing it. And anyway, that's not just my bias. But the premise of the show is that true soul food, as she wrote, is cuisine created with ingenuity through struggle that nourishes our people through our hardest times. It's about making something out of nothing with sustenance and love in every bite. And this translates, and that's the premise of the show, is that that translates across culture. Yes, that's true for my people, black American people in the U.S., but that's true in the Caribbean, that's true in Peru, that's true in South Africa, that's true in Italy, all over the world. 
And the show explores that premise, which I think does resonate so deeply. It has some spiritual meaning because food conveys love. And in preparation for today, I did ask mom more about her greens. I wanted to know how she prepared them. I wanted to know how she came up with the recipe for them. And, all, and I learned things that I didn't know. I learned that she had actually picked much of it up from her father's family, Texans. I learned that she incorporated mustards because her father, my grandfather, the Reverend Dr. Edwin Richardson Edmonds, always had them in his garden. In fact, the mustards were the most abundant crop in the garden. And mom said that she remembers so clearly how the mustards actually stood out in the garden. They grew really, really tall, like Jesus said, and huge, and had a characteristic chartreuse color to them. They were gorgeous. Now, I had no idea my grandfather had a garden because in my lifetime, he was blind and he had trouble getting around. And apparently he was blind then too, but just not so blind that he couldn't keep a garden. You know why? Because he had to. Everyone in the black town of Langston, Ohio, I'm sorry, Oklahoma, <laughs> Langston, Oklahoma, had to because the nearest grocery store was hours away hours and hours away. And the dregs of water sent to this black town due to racism were, was, it was undrinkable. But they could use it to water the gardens they had to have to eat, which all the black folk did. And what they grew, they fed their families with. And soul food tends to get a bad rap in terms of health. But when we take a closer look, we learn something different. Our people took what they had, took the time to plant and to sow and to put their foot in that food and then presented it and presented love on a plate. It's not soul food that's unhealthy. It's racism and worldwide oppression that is. But what I absolutely adore about Jesus saying that the realm of God is like some mustard grains is that it's giving me this beautiful image of God handing us love on a plate. So maybe my mom's greens did feel the movement because movements for liberation are God's work in action, love on a plate. To close, I just want you to understand this. The heavenly realm is something you already know. It's soul food. It's something out of nothing with love in every bite. And it starts with that tiny seed. Love it, give it space, tend it, and watch it, go, watch it grow. Thanks be to God. Amen. <laughs>